Now, 20 days ago, we received a prophetic word in the church. Seems like much longer than that somehow, but it's just been 20 days. If you're a visitor here today, I'm going to read you that prophetic word for us all to remind ourselves. If you want a copy of it, here it is on the front. You can have a copy to read through during the meeting, or you can come and get one afterwards. But this word, we weighed together as leaders, we prayed over, and we discussed, and we held before the Lord, and we felt this was something else. It was a clear word from God that had power and conviction and the sense of the urgency and the now about it. And since then, we've dropped everything we've been doing as a church, and we've given all our gaze and focus and attention to this word. Because it's God's word, we want to take it seriously. And this is a serious word, and it's an urgent word. It's a word for the now. So let me just read it again to you, and then we're going to look at a few scriptures this morning that are in the same vein as this word. There needs to be a great clearing out in your lives, a great purging and removal of sin, removal vans taking away sin and debauchery, sinful goods and wares, the hardware of infidelity, my people unfaithful and in affairs. Without me in the midst, you can do nothing. Practice my presence. Take me into every place you go, not one foot in one camp and one in the other. Do not be lukewarm, my children. You are neither hot nor cold. I am calling you out of sin and infidelity, out of the land of Canaan and into the promised land. The time is coming. The time is short. This is urgent, an emergency. I am calling out with great urgency. Hear my fatherly warning. Make bold steps. Shake yourselves before you are shaken. Rise up and be ready, says the Lord. Something urgent is coming. A great battle, and yet you are sleeping. Awake. You are not called to be the rear, but the vanguard, the protectors, the sharp edge, the two-edged sword in your mouths, the pioneers, the cut and thrust. Be on guard. Could you not watch and pray for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Listen to my voice carefully. Write down what I say to you and do it. Do not delay. The future of your nation hangs in the balance. You must fight for it. Marriages are on the verge of collapse. Pray that sin is revealed before it is too late. Take heart, my children. There is light ahead, a new kind of living, real life, real breakthrough, real vision, real faith, real prosperity, real multiplication, the real deal. All that I died to apprehend for you is at your disposal. So stop using blunt instruments, weapons, and words. Sharpen up. Get in gear. Get ready. I am on the move. Change is coming. Change in people. Changing roles. See, I will do this quickly. Without apology, I am on the move by my spirit. Be awake. Be listening. Don't delay. Make the changes. Amen. Now, here's another thing that's happening. With that prophetic word has come a, a whole fresh release of more prophetic. Even today, there was prophetic stuff upstairs in the prayer meeting, prophetic words here. Uh, and as Steve said, we, we let the meeting flow in that vein, but we know the prophetic words were, were encouraging us to go in that direction anyway. And there's been more prophetic. I have had more emails with prophetic words in the last 20 days than I've ever had in the whole of my ministerial life. Prophecy, I mean, people are saying, did you read my email? Which one? I've had several from several people. I mean, they're all kind of piling up on my, on my inbox, and I'm, I'm finding it hard to absorb them before the next one comes in. This is a time when God is speaking to us now and in the now. 
It's a time for hearing the voice of God and doing everything that God says. Let me just give you a flavor of two of those other prophetic words. One of them was a prophetic word to us as leaders that six or seven times we've hit a glass ceiling. You understand what we mean by that phrase, a glass ceiling. An invisible barrier that we can't seem to break through. But this time we're going to break through the ceiling. And that was particularly in terms of size of church and growth. Let me ask you, do you believe you're going to grow? I tell you this morning, you are going to grow. We are going to grow. Because the Spirit of God is saying that just today. It is His word to us. The ceiling is being smashed and shattered in the heavenly realms above us. We've had other words that the heavens are being opened, that the cleansing, the clearing is taking place for us. Now, another word this week, or in the last week or so, was where our word or our message is going to go today. And it was this, that having done some cleaning, there's still the corners where the shadows are, where the darkness still falls across that corner. And it's time to get right into the corners and clean there. You might not think of me as much as a house worker or a housewife, but unknown to you, I am secretly. Uh, this week, I was looking around where I cleaned last week. And I don't know if you ever do this at home, but I was just walking out the door. My eye went up to the very corner of the room. And if you've been to our house, we have tall ceilings. And I saw that dreaded thing in the corner of the room, a cobweb. Yes. Some of you are like me. You see these things. And so I went looking for the, 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 the brushy thing that we have. But it had got broken and someone's hoided out in the, in, in, the, in the trash. So I couldn't find the brush. I'm like, where's the brush to get into the corner? Once I'd seen this cobweb, it was irritating me. I mean, it was getting to me. I'd cleaned up the week before, but I'd missed this corner. And I thought, I've got to get into the corner and clean this thing out. But there was no brush. Well, a couple of days later, Sally turns up in the house because I'd mentioned this to her. She said, I've bought you a present, dear. And I'm thinking, well, this is nice. A new set of cufflinks, a new tie maybe, a new gadget of some description. So this carrier bag appears. And out of the carrier bag comes the biggest, bestest, highest quality, strongest, heavy-duty brush for getting in the corners you've, duster you've ever seen in your life. All the latest anti-static technology. So I had to assemble this in sections to get the pole onto it and to clip it on and extend the pole. And suddenly I was happy. I could go round and minister to these cobwebs in the corner. And by this time, there was a spider or two appeared as well. They hadn't stayed static. There was something living there. And there was dust and things accumulating. And I was straight in there like this. Yes. I had that wonderful sense of satisfaction going around afterwards. I done the corners. And I didn't just look at the corners that were dirty. I went round every corner downstairs just in case. That's the prophetic word to us this week. We're going for the corners this week. There's still stuff that lurks in the corners even when you've done a pretty good job on the rest of the cleaning. Amen? So, with that in mind, let's look at four scriptures this morning. I don't have a title as such, but I suppose we could call it Getting Into the Corners. How about that for a title? Will that do? So would you turn with me, please, to our first scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Did you know that God deals in accountability? Did you know that the angels of God are called before him in heaven from time to time to give an account? 
he lines them all up, or however God does it, and they all appear before him one by one. Say, how is Dave Bolam doing this week? You're Dave's angel. Yeah. Better this week, Lord. You know, we've, we've, we've fought a few more demons off him this week, and he's, he's coming through. Amen, Dave? Good. Next one. How is John Paul's angel doing this week? How is Dave's angel doing this week? How is Stu's angel doing this week? And how is the, how God calls the angels to give account. And not only does he call the angels to give account, he calls you and me to give account as well. Now, accountability is one of those things that's a bit awkward with some people today. They're not very happy about that. Although, oddly enough, you do it at work. I'm sure your boss calls you to account. Or if you're in education, your tutor calls you to account. How much work have you done this week? How far have you got with that essay? How's the project coming? How are the sales figures doing? Accountability is in all areas of our lives. But there is an accountability that's even greater. And that is the accountability to God for the life he has given us. We must all give account to God. That is what this scripture is saying. And no one, but no one can duck or dodge or dive or get out of it. Every single person who's ever lived and whoever will live and who's alive right now must be accountable one day before God. Actually, God gives us accountability before the day we meet him. And we're going to look at a few of those in the course of this short message. One of those is called your conscience. Even before you meet God face to face, your conscience will hold you accountable for certain things in life. And if you listen to it, it will help you. And if you don't and you continue to ignore it, it will just shut down on you and it will fail to work anymore. Now, another way God gives us accountability is through our leaders. Different kinds of leaders, whether it's the policeman with a speed gun, that is a form of accountability from the Lord. And our parents and our church leaders and other kinds of accountability in life. It is all good and from God if it's done well and right. Here's what God says about himself in his word. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Can you imagine going to work? And your boss doesn't just see what you do when he's there, but he sees what you do when, you're, when he's not there. And even the things you didn't think he could see, he can see. That extra game of Minesweeper that you played on the computer a few years ago. Or that little nap you had in the afternoon because you really were sleepy. Imagine everything you do and say and then think could be seen. I don't know if you've ever been in a Holy Spirit atmosphere where God is moving like that. But when he does, I tell you, it is a fearsome and awesome thing. One day, one of the prophetic guys I know was... During a time of ministry, a man came up to him at the end of the meeting. And, the man, and he said, I, I need to hear from God. And he said, I see a bridge stretching from one side to the other. And I see your name on this bridge. And the guy's face dropped shock. Oh, this man had never met him before. He didn't know who this prophetic guy was. And he opened his wallet and he took out his business card. And there on the business card was a picture of a bridge with his name on it. God sees the business card, the thing that's folded up inside your pocket. And he revealed it through the prophetic gift. Another time we're in a meeting and the guy stands up and he says, the prophetic guy, one of the guys there stands up and he says, you came to this meeting today, but yesterday you stole a red alarm clock from the shop. And he had stolen a red alarm clock on Saturday from the shop. 
and come to church on Sunday. Another time, I was praying on a Sunday night for our meeting. This is in another church. And the Lord gave me someone's name and the description of them, even what they were dressed in, the color of their hair, their kind of age and stature and everything. And so I stood up at the end of the meeting and said, you've never been to this place before, but this is your name and this is who you are. And God has brought you here today. The person was there. That was their name. They were wearing the clothes. Their hair was the same length and color as I have described. And they were not used to coming to this kind of church. They were shocked that God knew who they were the night before and spoke to them that day by name that they were in the meeting. Another time, I remember a guy I know, a very prophetic guy, he stood up at the end of the meeting and said, This is a big meeting. It's about 600 people, so it's easy to get lost in this meeting. Right at the very back, in the back row, a man was standing there. He'd never been to this church before. He'd come in that day, and this was the word. He said, you've come here to see if God is going to give you one last chance before you run away from everything. You have in your pocket an air ticket to go to South Africa, and your plane is leaving this afternoon, and this is your last attempt to hear God speak to you. The man was there and he had the ticket in his pocket. I tell you, God sees everything. Even our attempts to run and escape. Even our secret thoughts. Even those things we don't tell our best friends, our mothers, especially the things we don't tell our mothers. There are things that we've never told a living soul today. And God sees every one of them. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. And not only is it in his sight, but this scripture says it's going to be uncovered one day. Whatever we try to keep hidden will not stand the test of time. Anything at all in those corners, anything at all that's hidden, God will one day come along with his torch and his duster And he will shine his light into that corner and it will be found out. And when it's found out, oh dear, oh dear, how does that leave us feel? When Moses killed a man and buried his body in the sand, he thought he'd got away with it. But when he tried to intervene, when two Israelites were fighting with each other. And they said, you know, what what do you mean by talking to us like this? What about that guy you killed yesterday? In one of the modern versions, it says this, people have found out what I have done. Can you hear the panic and the pain in his voice? People have found out what I've done. I've been found out. Oh, woe is me. And you know, all his hopes and dreams and ambitions at that moment collapsed and he had to flee for his life. God sees everything and everything will be uncovered and laid bare before him. And we must give an account of everything. Now, these are days of grace. God is uncovering and laying bare in order to release us, to free us, to clean us up, so that we can be ready for what this prophecy is talking about. Things that are coming where we need to be at the front and not at the rear. Things that are coming where we need to be on top, not underneath. Things that are coming where we need to be sharp, not blunt. That is what God is doing it for. It's not to condemn. It is to clean up, to sort out, to set free, and to get us in a great place with God. Amen? Would anybody like to be in a great place with God? Because I would love to be in a great place with God. It's possible. And this is the process we must go through. But let me tell you, there is some fear in this process. Because the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And it is. But it's even worse to fall away from God and be lost forever. That is even more fearsome. Now, my second scripture is taken from... 1 Timothy chapter 5. And it reinforces the point I've just made. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. 
It says this, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. Now here's a question for you. Think back to your school days. Did you ever get in trouble at school? Very quiet. One person is willing to confess. God bless you. The Lord absolve you of your sin, my dear. Come on, how many of us got into trouble at school one way or another? Okay. Now, here's my observation of school. It may be yours as well. There were two kinds of people that got into trouble at school. Those that everybody knew about would get into trouble. So some classes you would go to, there was a guy in my class called Dave. Dave was always getting into trouble. Nothing to do with the name Dave, by the way. It just happened to be his name. And his mate, Alan. Dave and Alan, and another one, Pete, they were always getting into trouble. Everybody knew Dave and Alan and Peter would always get into trouble. I mean, you just knew it, whether it was art or chemistry or English, they would get into trouble. I mean, they, they just were magnets for trouble. You expected it from them. But there were other people who were much more subtle about it. They had a way of winding up Dave and Alan and Pete and getting them into trouble, but then keeping out of it themselves. Did you ever see that happen? Maybe it happened to you. Maybe you were the stooge that got set up and you got the punishment and the other guy's sitting there all like this, sweetness and light, holy, happy and healthy, and you think nothing's wrong with him, but he put you up to it and he took part in it or she put, you know, and, and they're just as guilty as you are and they're smirking at you thinking, you got the punishment and I didn't. <laughs> well, that's a kind of observation on life. The Bible says there are two kinds of people here Those who sin becomes obvious at the time. And other ones who look okay at the time, and you think, oh, it's all good and it's all fine. But later, it all comes out and you think, oh, no. How could we have been so blind and foolish? Now, think about this for a moment without my being unglorifying here and mentioning any names. Can you think of the number of so-called do-gooding celebrities who've recently been in the news in the last year or two, who we all thought, weren't they great people? Weren't they nice and helpful? Did stuff for charity? You know, made us all tip out our pockets and and give? And then we find out what terrible things they did. But can you see this? It's all been exposed. You cannot hide it forever. If you leave it in the corner, the spiders appear And the dust appears and suddenly it grows bigger and eventually it will come out. I mean, is that the case? It will out at the end of the day, which is what the Bible says in the book of Numbers. Be sure your sin will find you out. It comes out at the end of the day. You cannot keep a lid on this thing. And it's one of the things we're being encouraged to pray for here. It says, pray that sin will be revealed. Now, an interesting sideline here is this in the prophecy. It's saying it in the context of the nation as well as the church, I believe. I wonder what sin there is still to be revealed in our nation. Something is out there. But if we want to deal with something out there, we need to deal with something in here first. If we want to have integrity to say to the people of this world, deal with your sin, it is sin, it is wrong in God's eyes, then we need to apply that lesson to ourselves first. So we can say, I've had to face up to what I'm like and deal with this stuff too. I am not perfect, but at least I've recognized it in God and let God deal with me in it now. Can you do the same thing? That's the call, I believe, or at least one of the implications of that prophetic word. But just because we haven't been found out doesn't mean to say we're clear and clean. God sees and he lays everything bare. And the moral of the story is this. You can run, but you can't hide. Okay, third scripture. Now, you're going to turn all the way back in your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. Verse 7. Sorry, Exodus chapter 7. I beg your pardon. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 19. Exodus 7 and verse 19. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. 
Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. This verse comes from the time when God was visiting the Egyptians with the ten plagues. And we're right early on in the process here with the plague of blood. Now, the Nile is the lifeblood of Egypt, if I can use that phrase in that way. It, from its flow comes all the, the silt and alluvium that's rich they can grow from. From its water comes all their water for irrigation, agriculture, drinking, everything. So when the Nile turns to blood, they are in serious, deep trouble. And Moses tells them this is going to happen. And then he takes his staff, or Aaron takes his staff, puts it in the river, and from there spreads out this incredible miracle, the Nile turns to blood. Now, as well as the Nile, there were big pools next to it. Somehow they lifted the water out with, a, with an ancient sort of thing called an Archimedes screw or something like that, and they used these buckets to, to store the water, but even those pools turned to blood as well. But some people were really canny. Some people had water at home from the Nile hidden in jars. They had water at home in cupboards and in wooden tubs and vessels and stone vessels hidden away at home. And they must have thought, well, okay, the water here has gone bad, but at home I've got my own secret stash. I've got my own secret supply, so I better keep quiet about it. So everybody else is running around thinking, oh, this is terrible. What are we going to do to drink? Who is this God that's done this thing to us? Who is this God of the Hebrews? Who is this God called Jehovah or Yahweh? How come he's so powerful to do this incredible thing to us? What have we done to them? What are we going to do? They're all worried. Some guys are thinking, I've got my own little supply at home that nobody knows about. Hidden away secretly. Now, this year, I was reading, as I do um, from time to time, some articles by psychologists. I'm not particularly advocating psychology as a, as a science, but I think they do, from time to time, have some very useful observations. They spend a lot of time working very hard uh, observing people in particular behavior traits. And I came across this one this, this year. It said, if you want to know who somebody really is, which part of their life do you go to to get the real them? Is it when they're shopping and elbowing people out of the way in the sales? Is that the real them? Well, apparently not. Is it when they're on the football field and appealing to the referee for a penalty when clearly there wasn't a penalty? Is it when they're at work and away from their family and they're a different person there? Well, it's none of those. If you want to know, or maybe it's when they're out with their mates, that's the real person. No, it's not that. The real you, apparently, is when you're at home, and especially when you're on your own. When you are at home on your own, that is the real you. What do you think in those moments? What do you do in those times? What do you fill your life with? What's actually around you? This prophecy, for example, talks about removal vans taking away sin and debauchery, sinful goods and wares. Now, last Friday morning, Friday just gone, our bin man may not have noticed something, but there was an extra amount of stuff in the bin. And if he'd have looked, he'd have heard this clattering and battering as DVDs went into the Dustbin lorry. I shudder to think how much time I've wasted watching that stuff and how much money I've wasted in buying it. But I decided in response to this prophecy, and Sally and I decided together, we are going to look at the sinful goods and wares in our house. And there's a lot of stuff there. I think, why did I watch that? Why did I buy that? Why did I fill my life with that? What, is it really godly and the will of God? And is it in the spirit and, and nature of the scripture? It's not. So we hoid it all in the bin. Well, 
Out it went on Friday. Clatter, clatter, bang, bang. If the dusty man had been quick, he might have had himself a bargain. But then yesterday, Sally was clearing up the shelves and she wanted to free up some more space for my junk. I get one shelf in the whole room. So she's free up some space and she picked out a couple of DVDs and she said, these two are left over. What shall I do with them? And we looked and said, well, we can put them upstairs on a shelf. Then we looked and we said, do we really want these in the house? Nah, we don't want those. So we throw some more out. By the way, if you've lent us any DVDs or you've left them at their house, we may not be able to return them to you anymore. We may have helped you with the words of this prophecy, unbeknownst to you. So these guys are back at thinking, even though the Nile has turned to blood, I've got my own little secret thing going on at home. I can look the same as everybody else here, but there's this thing at home you don't know about that I do. And that's where I'm going to connect with tonight. When you're all thirsty and starving, I'm going to have a drink of lovely, clear Fresh water from the Nile. (laughs) So they go home. Now, the wife or the husband doesn't know they've got this hidden away in this cupboard. So they say to the wife, husband, here's some money, go shopping, and I'll see you in an hour or two, get rid of them. Then they go to the cupboard to get their secret stash out. This is my thing that I do. And they get the stone pot out. And they pour themselves out a glass of blood. Because it says here, even the water in the pots, in the stone jars, in the the wooden troughs, even that water, God saw. See, we can have things in the cupboard at home that God sees. We can have things hidden away in the corner of our lives. But God sees. Do you know... We don't have to have DVDs at home or even that bottle of drink or that substance or anything else. We can just sit at home and have some thoughts in our head. And God sees those thoughts. Even those thoughts that are unbecoming, unworthy, untrue and ungodly. God sees everything in all creation. He sees those idle moments And the words we speak, Jesus warned us, he said, be careful what you say in your inner room because it'll be shouted from the rooftop. Oh, be very careful. Be very careful. I foolishly let slip something one day. I was in a bad mood. Many years ago, Richard, our son, was five years old and I said something in front of our son. We were going to the dentist. And I didn't want to go. And it was an inconvenience. And I said, oh, do we have to go to the blooming dentist? That was the actual word I used. I know it's polite, but it was still not good work. So we go to the dentist and we're in the waiting room. And as the dentist comes in at the top of his voice, Richard said, Daddy, what's the blooming dentist? (laughs) Embarrassment and shame came all over me. Looks of penetration came from Sally. What have you said to our son that has now come out here in public? So I'm trying to say, I mean, what do you say? He caught me on a bad moment. Oh, dear. One day, I'm in our bedroom, and I am feeling very discouraged in the Lord. This is many years ago. I'm feeling very low. I'm feeling very down. I'm feeling like a great failure. And I was so upset with myself, my life, my situation. I was so frustrated with the complex set of circumstances I was in. I remember sitting on the floor and saying to God, God, this isn't fair. By the way, please don't say this isn't fair to God, because God knows that. Life is not fair. If anybody thinks life is 
fair. Please talk to me afterwards. Talk to some people here who've gone through some very unfair. Life does not deal fair with us. We are not here to get fairness from life. But God is good in the face of life's unfairness. Amen? That's what the Bible says. In spite of the unfairness, in spite of the injustice of it all sometimes, God is good. He doesn't promise us fairness. He promises us himself and his goodness in the face. And in the face that I'd rather take God's goodness than anything, any so-called fairness from life out there. Amen? I'd rather be in the hands of God than in the hands of men any day. So I, I say that first foolish thing. And then I, said to someone, then I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, this is how I see the situation. And Lord, if only somebody would come and say this to me. But they haven't for weeks and weeks and weeks. Nobody said a thing to me like this. Nobody sees. So I made my complaint before the Lord. People do that in the Bible. You see it in the Psalms. Generally speaking, it's not a good idea to complain too much to the Lord. But graciously he hears us, meets us, puts up with us and answers our complaint. So that morning I go to the meeting and I had this feeling God is going to speak to me. And all through the meeting, nobody speaks to me. Nobody says anything. There's nothing in the prophetic words. There's nothing in the sermon that really speaks to me about what I complained about. So I go out of the meeting and I'm feeling pretty dejected. And I, I sit in like the foyer outside. I just go outside and I stand there. And this, this is a big meeting. There's about 600 people in it. And somebody walks up to me and said, I just feel I should say these words to you this morning. And I've been waiting to catch your eye. And they said the sentence, word for word, accurate, that I had said in my bedroom that morning. I mean, there was not a word different. It was point, pinpoint accuracy. That's how much God sees. He sees the words you utter in your bedroom. He, he hears the things you say in prayer. He sees the thoughts of our minds. He knows the desires and intentions of our hearts. He sees everything in all creation. You can run, but you can't hide. And our encouragement this morning is to deal with God with that understanding. Let's go for the corners this week. Now, I have one final scripture, and then we're going to give some encouragement and direction for us for this week. Let's go back to where we started, Hebrews chapter 4. Before this word is spoken that we started with about God seeing everything, this is what the scripture says, and you will know this verse really well. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you see how everything is laid bare before God's eyes? It's through his word. As you and I read his word, as you and I spend time in the word of God, as that word is read with an open heart and with the spirit of God and with a prayerful attitude, it goes into our lives and it finds out what we're about. It searches us deep down inside, and it brings that heightened sense of conscience and conviction in the Spirit. It says, that's not good. Throw it out. That's not good. Remove it. Now, when we started this year, we started by saying that our word for the year was men moved by the Holy Spirit, or people moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And God is working in us to bring that about. And we started with looking at the Holy Spirit in the Bible. We started by encouraging every one of us to get into the Scripture. Now, here's an interesting thing. I've watched with my leadership team. Those who have really done what that word has said have changed this year. I won't embarrass them by telling you their names, but I can tell you some of my leadership teams have changed substantially this year just by spending time in the Word of God. And you'll know because Sally read out the research here, we've mentioned it before, that when they did this big research into all the church programs that help people and how effective they are, the number one thing beyond the first year of being a Christian is people who read the Bible 
growing God. People who read the Bible change. Reading the Bible is more important than any other program the church can put on for you. And I want to remind you of that again today, that reading God's word is the way that God's gaze will come into our lives and find us out and show us where we're at. And if you're not very good at this, let me remind you, the way we can do this is to ask three simple questions. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about people? And what does this speak to me for myself? Those three simple questions will get you into any part of the Bible. Joan, will you come and join me for a moment? Can I have a microphone up here, please? Let me get the microphone from there. Here's an encouragement for you, one of those prophetic words. Joan was just praying this morning to see if God wanted to bring this. But this week, God's been speaking to you, hasn't he? Yes. yes. Tell us briefly what he was saying to you about Scripture and where we should be turning our attention. Well, since, since I got the prophecy, I've been asking God to lead me in what he wants me to say. And I watched the God channel the other night, and there was two guys talking about the end times. And they said that, The book of Revelation is very important and that everybody should read it because it's for now, not the other books are important with the other past. Revelation is for today and the future. And uh, when I went to prayer that night, I felt God say, you have to read Revelation, it's important and that I had to come to church and tell the church that we have to read Revelation. Bless you. So I asked permission of Clive this morning to get up and to give that word. Thank you. So that's, that's the prophecy. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. There is something about the spirit of this prophecy which somehow connects with that same kind of prophetic spirit in Revelation. So I'm going to add it to my... Oh, I've got the wrong microphone here. I'm going to add it to my... I'm getting a double dose of me then. I'm going to add it to my reading list this week. Now, let me tell you how I read the Bible. You don't have to read it like this, but if you're looking for some way to get into it, you're not there yet, talk to your cell leaders this week. Engage with them. Ask them for some help and encouragement. But I normally read the Bible. First thing I do in the morning for anything else is wake up or try to wake up. And then... It's a fight between making Sally a cup of tea and reading my Bible. In some order, I do this. Um, And if Sally's still a bit asleep, I I open my iPad on the screen and lie down, and I start to read. I start with a psalm. I read round the psalms. There's 150 psalms. So every year, I read through the book of Psalms twice. That just fires me up with something. Then I read the book of Proverbs or something similar, and there's 30 chapters or 31 chapters in Proverbs, so you can read one a day in the month. That gets me encouraged and challenged with some wisdom. And then I go through the book of the Bible I'm on, three chapters at a time. So that gets me at least five chapters a day. And you'll read the Bible more than once in a year if you read five chapters a day. Uh, And then I add other stuff to it as I need to. But that's my basic staple diet. And if I get carried away, it's sometimes more than three chapters because I just can't put the story down. And then finally, after all that, I read Pastor Sazer's Declaration, which is a commentary on a, a passage of Scripture. And then I go and make the tea, if I haven't made it already. Now, however you do it, the Word of God is living and active. And it's it's that Word that's going to get into every corner. So, cell leaders, please will you stand up for me. Those cell leaders that are here today, not away or not on holiday, this is my charge to you for the rest of this month. You have two charges And for those who are on holiday and listening to the message, it applies to you when you get back as well. Number one, take your toothbrush and your torch, or your old toothbrush, and talk to everyone in your charge about their dark corners. What's still hidden? What's still to come out? What's lurking in the corner? Because if it doesn't come out this way and get healed, it will come out another way and will be broken because of it. So let's deal with it according to the word of the Lord and deal with it well or properly. And when your cell leaders come and ask you, they're asking on behalf of the Holy Spirit, they're asking under a charge from me, 
to sweep out the, the corners with you. And that includes thoughts and desires and attitudes. But you've seen the result already. The worship flowed more this morning. As we're cleaning ourselves up, the Spirit's able to do more with us. There was a greater sense of the presence of God and engagement and a rolling on in the Spirit, a flow in the Spirit as we're doing business with God. And we want that process to continue. And so for the rest of this month, I charge you, go round with those lights and those brushes and get into every corner. Ask the awkward questions. And the things people don't want to tell you, they're the things to go looking for. Now, some of you have been a bit evasive with the cell leaders. You've been hard to get hold of, and when they've spoken to you, you've not really shared openly and fully with them. That's the feedback I'm getting. A lot of you have been incredibly open and really connecting with this process. But I say to you, those of you that are being a bit evasive, we're coming after you again. You can run, but you can't hide. Now, if you really don't want this process, nobody's going to force you. But I tell you this, God sees everything. God knows everything. And he knows all our lukewarmnesses as well. The second thing, cell leaders, I charge you with is to ask people how it is with them and the word of God. How is it between them and the scripture. Remember what Dr. Derek Prince said to summarize this so well. He said, your attitude to God's word is your attitude to God. You have as much time in your life for God as you do for his word. No more, no less. How about that? It's a great measure of where we're really at with God. How much time do I have in my life to read, absorb, respond to, live out, confess, believe, speak out, sing out, talk about the scriptures. Because the more time I have for that, the more time I have for God. And the less time I have for that, the less time I have for God. It's an amazingly good measure. Cell leaders, will you ask the people how they are doing in their reading of the word and whether there's life in it and are they meeting God and are they changing as a result of the word? We have to get the word into us because nothing is hidden from his gaze. Thank you very much, cell leaders. You can sit down. All of those things. Some days I'm asking about a particular passage. You know, a particular passage really gets my attention. I go back to it, and then I ask those questions. Um, and I'm looking for life here. I'm looking for the now word of the Lord. I'm looking for something that shines a light on me and gets me where I am. And it's often not the bit I want to study. It's often a little bit quite obscure, but it hooked me. Yesterday got me for something in Psalm 50, and it, it hooked me there and then. I thought, this is the word of the Lord to me. And it caught me unaware. So I've been looking for a ream of word from God. I've got it. And uh, it called me to do something. I thought, I've got to make a response here. So in that case, I did it for just one verse. Sometimes I'm just reading it through, and, and I say, I'll pick a whole passage up to do that with. But I always have those questions in the back of my mind. I'm not just reading this. What does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about humanity and people? And what's it saying to me that I need to do? And if we do that with the Scripture, it's simple but it's powerful in its effect. So whether you do it for one verse or all your reading, or you take a passage out and you study it later, you can do this flexibly how you like, but let it speak to you. And the Spirit will change what, what, what you do each day. He'll, he'll move it around because he's free to do that, and we should be free to follow him in that. Is that okay? Great. Well, let's stand together and pray. finish with today, I want, I've just, just felt the Holy Spirit prompt me right now as I stood on the stage to make a confession from the Word of God. And speak it over our lives. I'm just turning to it. This is in the Psalm. Uh, this is in Psalm 139.
Psalm 139, verse 23 says this. I'll see if we can get it on the screen. So Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So can we get both verses up there? Is that possible? 23 and 24. Okay, let's read those out together as a confession and a prayer and a response at the end of this word. Ready? Go. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Father, we ask you, shine your light as we've been singing it. Shine your light on the dark corners. Get your long-handled brush out and reach down into our lives. God, we have a real chance here to be cleansed properly, to be truly free from shackles and chains and addictions and thought patterns and bondages and hurts and fears and and phobias and hang-ups and all that kind of stuff. God, we have a real chance here to be so set free and cleansed that we can step out into a new life. That word there, the prophetic word that you gave us three weeks ago said change. Lord, we can change for the better. We can change to walk more fully in your ways. We can change to enjoy you and know you a whole lot better than we've ever done before. God, we pray today, work in us. Let us not pass by or miss this opportunity because we are all inevitably and ultimately accountable to you. God, search me. Search us today. Search every dark corner of my life. Sweep it out. Brush it out. Let us throw it out that we could be clean, pure, holy, changed, transformed, liberated, different people and know that real life that the prophecy is speaking about. God, would you go with us this week and may we do some great house cleaning with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you.